there's really a change in our understanding over the last five to ten years i would say first of all bacteria are everywhere and second of all the majority of bacteria are not harmful but they are actually beneficial every living thing is basically associated with bacteria and they do something good welcome to science town a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet with every episode, we will bring you cutting-edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Hello. Welcome to episode 19 of Science Town. I'm Julie West. I'll be your host going forward. Nick DeMille, the creator of Science Town, accepted a position at the Mohammed bin Zayed University of Artificial Intelligence. I had the pleasure of working with Nick at KAUST, and I'm excited to continue the program he started. This episode explores the promising health benefit of probiotics, not for humans, but for corals. A new study led by marine biologists at KAUST shows probiotics to be helpful protagonists in boosting coral health and preventing mortality in the face of environmental stressors. With me in the studio to tell us about this research are Drs. Hakel Pijoto, Associate Professor of Marine Biology, and Chris Wulstra, formerly on faculty at KAUST and now a professor of genetics of adaptation and aquatic systems at the University of Constance. When I think of probiotics, I think of foods such as yogurt, kombucha, sauerkraut, and miso, foods with beneficial living flora for humans. But you all are using probiotics for corals, which is such a fascinating concept. So Chris, I'll start with you. Tell us, what are probiotics generally? What is meant by holobionts and holobiome, words frequently referenced in your paper, and what can these microenvironments teach us about ecological balance? Probiotics centers around this concept that you can identify and isolate these beneficial bacteria, and then you can provide them to the organism to increase its health or its resilience or its stress tolerance. Um, Holobiont is um, basically the host organism. So in our case, the coral or any plant or any other animal. Um, in association with its microbes and the holobiome is now probably very like also tailored to the molecular world of things the holobiome is essentially the description the genetic description of these entities well then Hakel, tell us about probiotics for corals, corals in particular yeah yeah so what we are doing is that we are trying to isolate bacteria that are actually beneficial bacteria living in association with corals. Mm -hmm. These bacteria may be also sensitive to stress, to impact. So they, the, the coral holobiont tends to uh, suffer uh, impacts and then ch change depending on the environmental conditions. So what we are doing is that we are trying to keep this beneficial fraction of this microbiome associated with corals associated with them and doing their their job like the the beneficial roles that they have overall we can 
think about four different types of contributions that these microorganisms can provide. So mitigation of toxic compounds, input of nutrients, protection against pathogens, competition with pathogens, and support in their development and reproductive um, development. Uh, so what we are doing is that we are identifying these traits within the microbiome associated with corals. So we isolate bacteria that can provide these traits and we grow them in the lab. We combine them in a way that we have several different, different traits uh, at once and we give them to corals. So in, 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 in an association with what happens to us, for example, when we take antibiotics and we impact our microbiome uh, so that only a few uh, microorganisms will grow uh, and we may have uh, some bad outcomes out of it. Uh, and we take yogurts to replace the beneficial uh, part of the microbiome that is lost with the use of antibiotics. This is what we are doing with corals. So when they face stress, uh, these beneficial microbes can be impacted by the stress, can be replaced by pathogens. And what we do is that we inoculate huge amounts of these beneficial uh, microbes so that they can make sure that the pathogens won't overgrow and that this fraction will continue to be dominant or abundant within this holobiome. Yes. Correct. So if I may add, because you actually said it very nicely the other day when we had a discussion, yeah. you're really not adding anything that wasn't there before, right? Mm -hmm. It's rather a rebooting the proper microbiome. Exactly. Yeah. It's like basically a computer program doesn't work properly and you install it again. Yeah. Right. It's like this. This is what I like so much about it, that it's, it, it's basically these bacteria are tried and tested through evolutionary time they are associated with the species right so it's not that you bring something in that environment that wasn't there to begin with i think that's a really important part in this whole narrative yes mm -hmm. you're not imposing from the outside yeah. in yeah. so so you mentioned the bacteria how how do you go about teasing that apart finding which bacterial strains are the beneficial ones and you know, walk us through that process we basically isolate bacteria from the corals we collect these corals that are health healthy corals in the field we bring them to the lab we isolate bacteria, we use uh, media, culture, culture media that we know, and this is one of the limitations that we have to work with those that we can culture in the lab, those bacteria that we can culture. So we bring them, we culture them, and then we do a screening. Like we have an idea about uh, the traits that we want to boost, right? We have an idea about the things that we consider important for the uh, holobiont to keep. So for example, we know that one of the triggers of the bleaching process is ROS, reactive oxygen species. So we check within our group of isolated bacteria which ones can actually mitigate ROS, have like a good protection against ROS. So we include them. Uh, then after that, we select for other traits that we think that can contribute, like uh, the degradation of DMSP that can also be a compound that attracts uh, some pathogens. So we select those that can degrade it. And in the end, we combine these things, these traits, uh, based on the function of these bacteria. So we have a huge collection, we test, we do this screening for their function, and we combine functions that together can uh, protect these corals or increase their resilience.
I was in the lab with you the other day. Um, you showed me an actual coral juice. Like you, you, uh. you, you're kind of making a, what a macerated formula that then you you use for the actual yeah. probiotic. Potion. Yeah, exactly. It's a potion. It's a superhero formula. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. So now, when you say inoculation, I you know have this idea of someone giving me a shot in the arm. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to visualize what that would mean for corals. So tell us what what does inoculating a coral look like? What is it? So for now, what we do is that we we come up with a suspension of these bacteria and we just go to the field and we apply it onto these colonies. So it's not an injection uh, mm -hmm. uh, for now. Mm -hmm. What we are developing right now are bacterial pills that we can actually drop on the reef. And these pills will be placed on the corals or around the corals and will be slowly releasing bacteria over time, just like these nicotine patches that people use, <laughs> you know, to slowly, and they don't have to be replacing it. So the goal is to have something like that for corals. I want to direct this next question more to Chris. Again, this is a, a general FYI mm -hmm. for audiences. Uh, I think most people or many people are aware of the you know connections between warming sea temperatures and coral bleaching. But what's actually going on with corals when the water gets uncomfortably warm? What's at stake? And how do you recreate this in controlled experiments? Yeah, so <laughs> it's actually a very good question we still learn more what's going on but the general notion is it's called bleaching because the coral turns white and it turns white because they lose their um, endosymbiotic photosynthetic algae so a coral is actually a very smart animal that learn to live like a plant so they house tiny plant cells algae in their tissues and these algae do photosynthesis they produce sugars and other nutrients and they essentially feed the coral so if it gets too warm we already talked about this reactive oxygen species mm -hmm. um, the situation becomes unhospitable or inhospitable and the algae leave and the corals basically lose their primary source of of nutrition or food and they really eventually starve to death if the conditions persist. And, and yet this work is, is the first to show that probiotics boost coral resistance to bleaching and, and actually prevent mortality. So what, what are the main stages of the study and, and how did you learn what you learned? Just the main stages of the, the study, how did you, you, you break it up to look at exactly how they are preventing mortality in the controlled stage. So what we did is that we basically isolated this group of bacteria, we came up with this consortium, and then we inoculated or applied it. Uh, we, we, we actually had tanks okay. that we submitted to thermostress, some of them. We kept some tanks that were actually our control tanks under normal temp temperature throughout the experiment when we had other tanks that were exposed to high, uh, to increased temperature. So half of them we treated with our probiotics and uh, the other half with placebo. So what mm -hmm. we did is that we followed them, like we monitored them for, uh, seven, we, the, the, the full experiment was 72, 75 days. Uh, and we increased the temperature and we kept it high for 10 days. So before we increased the temperature during this period of stress and after that, 
we evaluated some proxies like the photosynthetic ability of these associated algae and this is an indirect uh, proxy for coral health so we know whether the algae is still capable of keep doing the photosynthesis that's so important for the corals and we also evaluated the color like visual uh, evaluation visual assessment of these uh, stress and what we saw in our experiment is that all corals bleached all of them treated with uh, probiotics or placebo but the difference is that once we decreased the temperature and we kept it uh, in a no at a normal temperature for the recovery period only uh, probiotic inoculated corals recovered and actually we started to see these values this photosynthetic ability to increase and these corals seem to be stabilizing and the health state was improved while the other corals simply died so we mm -hmm. see that them uh, the, you see that they, they they are dying actually you see the tissue uh, going out and you see that they, at some point it's it's a dead coral so it was a visual assessment for mortality and we also use this other indirect uh, proxy for coral health and we also monitor the microbiome lipids con lipid content and other things that can indicate whether these corals are responding so it sounds like you're looking at the metabolomics that data but you're also looking at as you said visually just seeing and physiological response yes yes and and in, in this case they they aligned they're mm -hmm. both they're both showing you mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. yeah um, the same result i mean yeah. that was one important insight right they and it shows also that the treatment is benign so the corals don't lose quote unquote the ability to bleach but it basically helps them with the recovery of things mm -hmm. The other thing I have to say is when you said how do you do it experimentally because that's a very important point for us right you you in in the natural environment bleaching takes time mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. the experiment is a really long experiment 75 days but I also don't want to miss the opportunity that Raquel essentially pulled it off to do an in reef experiment right now yeah and it looks like there's a natural bleaching cycle so this is really like this is how you you satisfy the criticism right you, you go out and you prove it in the native environment and this is incredibly hard to replicate all these parameters or all these exactly. things in a, in, a, in an experiment but this is what she's doing right now yes yeah. this is such a big moment you're at the cusp you've left the pilot stage behind exactly and yeah. as this podcast is being recorded you're out on the reef we testing it on living today. corals yeah. today chris went with me today and he got to to also apply some of the probiotics on these corals and we know we saw that the, there's a bleaching event going on and so we know that these corals in this reef will bleach or are vulnerable Yes, and we, we, we noticed that most of them are actually either bleaching or pellets. So uh, overall, uh, I mean, the overall response of these 
corals in this reef so it's a unique opportunity for yeah. us to actually okay. try and and yeah it's our first attempt how to so, go <laughs> yeah we don't know whether the dose will be the correct one if the application will be the best one but it's a unique opportunity for us to optimize it so it's a tragedy but scientifically it's a wonderful opportunity yeah. right you, you yes. cannot get closer if this works yeah exactly i think this is very so you're saying that you're already seeing the signs of bleaching but if your theory holds you might see a reversal yes we might okay. we might see uh yeah better recovery of these corals that we are inoculating with probiotics and the good thing about it is that i don't think that this year we will see like a massive uh, bleaching event going on but there is a bleaching important bleaching uh that is still uh, happening and so it's an opportunity for us to test this to develop this and maybe next year if we have something worse going on we have something ready that we can just go and expand and protect these corals. Yeah, so, uh, um, all right, first of all, what criteria were you using to choose the test reef site? And what coral is the dominant species you're studying? So we uh, decided that we selected uh, Pocillopora verrucosa. Pocillopora is the genus that I started working uh, with. The first probiotic we developed was for these uh, same group of corals and it was a successful test as well uh, and it's a dominant this coral is a dominant coral in this area that we found and the criteria is that we have this um, kind of isolated protected area that is kind of a pool uh, where we have some mini uh, patches of reefs that we are using as mini replicates so mini reefs that are all replicated that we can control and we can uh, monitor and so it's a well controlled pilot experiment i would say uh, that we are developing now in a way that we can actually go there monitor everything that is happening within that entire patch that is being inoculated and we can have replicates of it so you can potentially scale this to other reefs in the red sea yes yes this is a is a very common and important uh, coral uh, species here in the Red Sea in other places as well but the idea is that yes we can expand it to other coral species as well and other coral reefs uh, even around the world even around the world oh, yeah yeah that's very exciting yeah right now trying to come up with uh, combinations of bacteria that can be uh, found uh, across different coral species so that we could come up with an universal or mm. some mm. universal universal uh, cocktails that could be applied to different coral or we are also thinking about using some of Chris's experiments and, and tools that he has developed that can show us the most vulnerable ones or the most sensitive ones or the ones that need to be protected. Yeah, I wanted to say this actually earlier, right? This is, as Raquel elucidated, it's it's still a lot of classic microbiology. Mm -hmm. You need to culture these bacteria and then you need to study their metabolism. You need to understand their genome and so on. So this is actually where artificial intelligence can play a huge role, right? Where you basically gives this problem to the computer here's the coral here's the bacteria we have what are the best coral to choose for this treatment so this is 
future music but um, yeah we did some things on it and it looks promising and it's definitely something we're going to apply to the problem because big data is is really yeah. your expertise yeah. right and you you've been contributing that kind of yeah. the, the exactly shaping the analytical yeah. frameworks behind these ex- the so, yeah, so the what do you look for then in the numbers what do you look for in the or not just the numbers what do you look for in the data yeah, I mean, that's the, the good and the bad thing about machine learning or, the, or artificial intelligence. The computer can tell you what are predictably beneficial bacteria, but the computer cannot tell you why, right? <laughs> Which is nice, but this is what we like. So um, what we did essentially is we did a preliminary data where we looked at multiple coral species along the Red Sea and we aligned it, the bacteria that are associated with a given coral colony and its um, thermal tolerance. And we basically told the computer that the microbiome or the bacteria are predictive of the thermal tolerance. What are the bacteria that you would choose are basically associated with an increased thermal tolerance. And we actually got like, I'm always surprised how well this works, basically. Okay, the computer was able to give us bacteria with very high confidence. They were actually some bacteria that were consistent across species. So what Raquel mentioned earlier, this stream of this universal potion might actually become a reality. But you really need a lot mm-hmm. of sequencing data for it. And you also need a lot of observational or physiological data. Exactly. I mean, this is something that no place else than cows can do, where you actually have this site where you go to regularly, where you have very high number of colonies that you assay, and then you can actually make this happen. What? What time scale are you working with to gauge success with the, the living coral part of this? Are you going to go back every six months, every year? We've been going every week, twice a week to apply the probiotics. And at the same time, we monitor it. We make the visual assessment of it. And eventually we sample uh, pieces of these corals to evaluate their response. So the idea now is to continue to monitor it throughout the bleaching event. And then after that, wait for a few months to see whether they will recover. So the idea is that we will be running this particular experiment for the next six to 12 months. Uh, yeah, and then we will have an idea about whether it worked or it, it you know, introduced any, any kind of protection or change and the, but this is the this is one part of this experiment so our idea is to continue to do this uh, over time and then over different bleaching events so next year for example if you have another bleaching event we can evaluate whether colonies inoculated one year before we perform better than colonies that we will inoculate next year. And so there are several different outcomes and we are also looking uh, into the, the implications that these type of manipulation have to other organisms in the reef, other coral species, fish and other uh, developments and other, other uh, structures that we find there, the other compartments. But it's actually one of the things we don't know yet, right? How many times do you need to apply yeah. this treatment and it might as well be, and I mean, you just published an idea paper about this, that you apply the treatment and you yeah. basically instigate a change that is for good, right? So there is a, a possibility that you only have to do this once or a few times and then 
you really instigate a change for good, as I said, and the car will, will be better. Would that we mean an know. epigenetic change? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. This is exactly what we, we don't know. For this experiment, we will be tracking it for a very long period of time. And then with that, and with the other experiments that we are planning using different doses and different application uh, methods, we will kind of understand a little bit more about how uh, permanent these effects can be and how uh, frequently we have to apply it or when is it better. And so there are way more questions than answers because we have just started to develop these uh, technology, but I think that the promising uh, side of it is that every time we try to do this in the lab, it works. And we try it uh, several times using different uh, strategies. So we try to apply before, after the bleaching, we try to apply different concentrations of cells, different consortia, and different coral uh, species, and it, it seems to work. We know from this paper or this work that it actually changes something in the host. Oh yeah, yeah. And other things that we know, for example, that are not published is that depending on the, the combination, the co cocktail we come up with, the response will be different. So the metabolome of the holobiont will be very specific depending on the, the cocktail you apply. So that indicates that it's not that the corals are eating this bacteria because this is one of the things that people also um, thought at the beginning or are you uh, actually manipulating it or you're just feeding them but it doesn't look like that we are feeding them for be first because it's like the amount of cells is too low compared to what is in the water or what the they actually eat and the second thing is that it looks like it's very specific so if you give a certain uh, cocktail to a specific coral species or a different one the metabolomes of these corals will change in a very specific way. So it looks like this bacteria will act and, and protect them through different mechanisms. Okay. I mean, one thing, because it also comes up very often, is scalability, mm -hmm. right? So there's many things that in theory work, but then if you actually want to change something in the real world, you you mentioned this too, it, it needs to work on a reef scale. Yeah. and. I this think is very Raquel is one of yeah. the few people that actually tackles this part of the problem. Yes. Now testing several different delivery systems in the lab and now moving to the field. But then this is the, the main challenge that yeah. we have, right? Yeah. It works very well in the in the lab. So I think it's if it's biologically possible to do that, it's a matter of us, you know, developing ways to apply to yeah. reproduce this in the field. So yeah. it may take a while because there are many different challenges, but I think it's if it's biologically possible, we can make this happen. We can. It's, it becomes an engineering problem. Exactly, so we, this we is what I always think. Yeah, something to yeah, play with too. Yeah, and we are actually teaming up with some engineers and uh, trying to develop some devices that can do that for us, robots and and artificial intelligence, also to deliver it uh, in yeah. a way that humans can do. And so, right, yeah, right. a lot of eyes are watching your project so cool. right now. I want to uh, say, I know Chris and you have been collaborating, what, since 2016, yeah. something like that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, what are, what are examples of maybe some other projects or maybe some of your personal projects, Chris, that, um, that reflect Hakel's input that's really evolved your, your research along a certain line of inquiry? 
yeah i mean the other thing that we basically apply is this um rapid stress test which is a, a it's a beautiful example how you can synergize the different fields right so this is something that we did it, it the idea is basically that you put a coral on a racetrack and if it's a better sprinter it's hopefully also a better marathon runner so to say because we already had this bleaching takes time in the field mm -hmm. if you every time you would want to prove something and you need to have weeks on end experiments it's it, it becomes unfeasible to do it at scale so this is something that we wanted to tackle so we developed a rapid test that gives you a good idea about the stress tolerance of a colony and now we essentially combine this with a probiotics treatment. To, Boy, to rapid test is like the trending term these days <laughs> with the COVID well, vaccine. Yeah, it's not yeah. a 15 minute test. It's PCR for, yeah, yeah. <laughs> PCR for corals, the rapid test. <laughs> yes, but it's basically what he's doing. It's been very uh, important for us to have this quick feedback on what, for example, uh, you asked about when am I, am I going to have an idea about whether the probiotics are working. So we are planning to go to back to the field in a few weeks, collect some samples and run his rapid test to see if we have managed to change the threshold, like the resistance of these corals uh, through the inoculation. So it's something that we can do very quickly. It takes us a day uh to get the results and so we can have an idea and we can decide for example whether we need to increase the dose or if we are actually on the right uh, path and so it's very important to have these type of tools that are extremely well standardized that, that you can actually rely on the results and use it and apply it in sure. during the development of the research Science Town, brought to you by Kaust. Does the Red Sea present challenges that are unique from other coral reef settings? Temperature and salinity are higher than in other places, so we um, not for the probiotic development but we because we are using native bacteria so we are using bacteria that are isolated from these reefs and they tend to be adapted to these places so we didn't uh, have to face any challenges in this regard i don't know if for develop i i, I actually i think that the things that can protect corals here could potentially protect them anywhere else because they here are adapted to extreme conditions compared to other reefs and maybe they are more powerful because as Chris said at the beginning they have evolved over a very you know long period of time and managed to adapt and resist these conditions and maybe this is what we can do to accelerate adaptation of corals in all, from other reefs around the world. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, I mean, that was a very important question. Does evolution repeat itself, right? And for the longest time, people said, if you rewind the tape, it will go a completely different way. But there's now some really very instructive experiments where it's actually show that you're basically evolution is a tinkerer, right? You build with what you have, like bats are mammals. So they don't develop, if they need to develop or evolve wings, 
they don't develop evolve bird wings they find a different way to do it and in that sense i think what corals do here can give us a pretty good idea of what corals will have to do somewhere, somewhere else. else what you have here is that you look into the future but you kind of can predict the future in other places how it's fascinating cool. it's yeah. like because the red sea is already so warm yeah yeah it's like yeah, evolution has you you exactly. get a, a cheat sheet view to the yeah. future evolution has already selected those yeah. who will be important players in the in the rest of the, i mean other reefs in the world because this is where these other reefs are going to so yeah. we can just take a look at this solution that nature has already come up yeah. with and apply it to accelerate the adaptation of these other reefs yeah and i think this is also where it nicely comes back to the ecology of things because what we know is exactly right in order for having different solutions available you need a lot of organisms in the population that hold these genetically mm. different solutions so it's what's uh, what we call standing genetic diversity so you need many individuals in order to have many variants realized and then it's it's much easier for evolution or for us to pick these successful variants if if it's already a very small population it's very constrained and i mm. think this is where we go back to the basics right yeah. like the this the number one is still that you need to conserve a, a minimum amount of corals in order to find these solutions if you have one coral left there's one solution that either works or it doesn't yeah chris you've you've mentioned the word microbiome stewardship before which i think is so interesting what what calls to action does that phrase convey yeah i mean that's set review basically it's really the idea that we crossed many of the boundaries or thresholds, right? So now we have to ask ourselves, what is the cost of inaction, right? Is like, can we really afford to not do something about it? So if you come to the point that you basically need to do something about it, which is what stewardship is, right? what do you do and mm -hmm. then microbiomes or bacteria or microbes in general like said fungi fungi is is probably an a, a more direct way a way that we better know how to handle and manipulate um this is basically this idea right if you think about of a herd of elephants you will never be able to tell them what to do <laughs> but maybe their microbiome you can do to a degree i think that this and this idea that microbiome is essentially bottom up it's a small factor that structures everything on top of it so if you change the microbiome you will change everything above it i think that's the other idea right you can instigate a, a broader change through it is there a sense right now that more scientists are on board for that idea and are yes definitely working? yeah i think yes because as chris just said uh it's not a matter of uh applying these technologies that are not yet fully developed uh on pristine ecosystems but actually we are we can see that they are degrading very fast so it's it's waiting the risk of doing nothing, the risks that we, we know that will cause the degradation of these um, areas or to apply these technologies that are actually that seem to be safe uh, from other 
um, organisms and ecosystems and they can actually perhaps protect these ecosystems. So it's rather, it's a comparison. It's whether we will just let them die or try to do something. And I, I usually compare these to terminal patients, right? And if depending on the status of this, this patient's health, we will try uh, even uh, technology, medicine that is actually under development. So mm. I think this is why most scientists, but what we are doing is not, not that we are proposing that this should be applied right now. So our idea is that this needs, needs to be developed and tested. And I think it's important to highlight that uh, not inoculating or not trying to use probiotics or any other tool that we have will actually lead to the degradation of these reefs. The pathogens become more abundant in these degraded ecosystems. When we talk about microbiome manipulation, it's actually stewardship. Like we are trying to one, boost this microbiome and reboot the, micro the microbiome and avoid the pathogens to grow and spread and improve the, the capacity of these organisms to survive. Thank you both for being with me today. Of it was course. a real pleasure to hear about the success of your project. It's a pleasure, thank you. Thanks real for having pleasure. us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who took part in this episode. Science Town is produced by Mark Bowes, Alex Arias, and Julie West. Until next time, Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.